From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What's Wrong with Revenue, episode 15. I'm Mike Lieberman from Square Two. I'm joined by my longtime friend, business partner, Eric Kalis. Eric, say hi. Hello. Eric is in the Bluegrass State. Is that right? That's correct. Bluegrass State in the awesome city of Louisville, Kentucky, spreading the good word around what's wrong with revenue and how to fix it, helping everybody get their act together to wrap up the year and go into 2022 strong. It's interesting. Our episode today is a definite follow-up from last episode where we talked about the sales process. We're going to dig in deep on the power of your CRM. So if you're looking for last week's episode, you can find us on YouTube at the Square Two Marketing Channel. You can find us on our own website at the bottom. There's a link called What's Wrong With Revenue, where you can get every single episode we've ever published in video format. You can submit questions. You can subscribe to the show. So we'll update you uh, via email on shows that come out and upcoming episodes. And you can find every single one of these shows on your favorite podcast platform. If you're into the audio format, Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, and uh, a couple of the others, I'm sure. So as I said, we talked about the sales process last week. Today, we're going to talk about the CRM. These systems have come a long way in the past five years or so. They used to be giant databases that kept track of prospect contact information. You're going to laugh when I tell you, when I started my career back in whatever year that was, I was the regional marketing manager at Dun & Bradstreet, and they came around and basically said, we'd like to give you guys your customer database. Who would like to work on it? I didn't even know what I was signing up for. My hand flew up into the air and I was the guy. They sent me a giant tower and every month I would get a tape. I would have to stick the tape into the giant tower and that's how I got access to our customer database. No one even cared what I was doing with it. It was up to me to figure out what to do with it. But that might've been like pretty progressive at the time, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean- the tape part is, has me a little worried, but, uh, <laughs> they, they, you know. Well, it was it was hundreds of thousands of records. How are they going to get it to me? There was no internet. There was no, enough, there was no file sharing. I picture like a big circular reel like you see in the movies, you know, like. Now, you know, up. it was more like one of those little like uh, cartridge, like, um, you know, like what you stick in those tiny recorders that the reporters use. But, yeah. but fatter, so it would fit into the tape drive on the on the giant tower I got. But oh, yeah, it was it crazy. It wasn't a paper tape with holes in it. No, a cart, a tape cartridge, like a yeah, yeah. you know, like it's a cassette funny. tape, but like fatter, not like yeah, a yeah. VCR we had the tape. Same, my first business, that was how we backed up the server yeah. every night, and I would have to exactly. take one home, and you know, exactly right. So obviously, that was you know many many years ago, but. Yeah. You know, also, I remember when when in some other organizations we were doing CRM, like the reps looked at it as like, oh, here's big brother. They're going to keep an eye on what I'm doing. And I don't want to put my my prospect records in here because I don't want them to see what I'm doing. I don't want uh, these are my contacts. I don't want them to know these people. So we've come a long way since then, too. Today, you know, these tools are not nice to have. So they're really mandatory. And every sales organization should be looking at ways to automate, prioritize, and systematize the sales effort across the organization. And CRMs are really key to creating that amazing experience. We did talk about that last week when we were talking about the sales process. The CRM is going to be one of your go-to tools to really help automate and, and allow every single sales rep to deliver the same process every single time. So if you're not thinking about CRM like this, then you're probably falling behind your competition because I guarantee you they're thinking about it. 
And if you're not thinking about the CRM like this, and you're definitely leaving money on the table without it, I don't even know how you would go about trying to shorten your sales cycle or improve your close rate. It's one of those things that you absolutely need to have. Anything you want to add, Eric? Nope. I agree completely. I mean, more with less is the way I always think about CRM. You know, one person could do twice the amount of work when given automation and some technology behind them. So who wouldn't want, who, which business leader would not want to think that way? Yeah, that's an interesting point. And, you know, we, we obviously have been doing this for a long time and many, many people have said to us, well, why would I invest in marketing? I'll just hire more reps to drive growth of the company. And obviously we have a good response to that, but that's just how a lot of people think. If you want to grow, you have to hire more reps. And I believe we touched on this briefly, but once COVID settled in, I think a lot of people realize that they don't need to hire more reps and that the sales process can be made more efficient and they can do more revenue with less reps or certainly more revenue with the same reps and maybe keeping those bottom couple of reps that never really have performed, never really were going to perform or consistent underperformers isn't something people need to do anymore. And they could, could kind of call the herd a bit and even do the same with less or maybe even a little bit better. So we've seen a lot more of that lately than I think we did pre-COVID. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Right. So before we, we have a lot of questions and I want to do a lot of questions today because this is such a big topic. Um, but maybe we could set the table a little bit if you don't mind. So you know, we talk about HubSpot a lot, but that they're not really the only CRM in town. And I don't even know if I would describe them as a CRM because they do so much more than what a traditional CRM does. But, you know, you talk to a lot of businesses. What, what are some of the other CRMs that you've run into in your travels and talking to prospects? Well, I mean, obviously, Salesforce is the leading brand, right? So typically, you'll find larger slash sophisticated companies on Salesforce. They literally don't choose any other um, uh, tool besides Salesforce. But then there's a subcategory of either smaller companies or industry-specific companies that use other tools. Pipedrive, great example. Very, very good for small businesses, not expensive, uh, pretty powerful for what it is. I hear that quite a bit. But just as often... I hear we're using X, it's an industry-specific CRM. And all they do is take a regular CRM and they add in a couple of things that might be specific. It's really nothing uh, that unusual. But people feel safe when they hear that it's industry-specific for their industry, and that obviously attracts them. But I would say, for the most part, anybody who's got five or more sales uh, people is on Salesforce. Yeah, I mean, half of our practice, maybe not quite half anymore, but half of our practice is, is Salesforce and the other half is HubSpot. But, you know, there are, there are some big options like Microsoft Dynamics. I mean, a lot of Microsoft shops that we run into are using Dynamics as their uh, CRM. Yeah, I don't really hear that as frequently anymore. Like Dynamics has kind of died off. Uh, you know, I hear Act, the original, like remember back in the day. You still hear about that? We do because it's, oh, we've been using ACT and now it's called ACT ON, right? We've been using yeah. ACT ON for 12 years. Like you hear yeah. a lot of that. Well, not a lot, but now and then. And that's fine. I mean, my first business, I used ACT. I remember it was $99. You loaded it in. And the coolest thing about it was that it had all sorts of custom uh, fields that were customizable, which I love. Um, but it was limited and you couldn't do any kind of sales sequence. You couldn't do any kind of email from it. I mean, it was just very basic database that you had to basically take the information out of and then do it, do what you will with the information in another tool. Yeah. Also, uh, I think you, I mean, I think most of the clients we're serving are probably not big enough to be Microsoft shops running dynamics. I mean, I think when we have, seeing that those companies had big IT teams and they were kind of committed to one platform or another. And, you know, if they were a Microsoft shop, if they're running Teams, if they're running Outlook, you know, they were running Dynamics for CRM. We're probably not coming in contact with too many companies like that, which is why we see Salesforce so frequently and why we see HubSpot so frequently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Zoho is probably another smaller uh 
small business product that we hear from time to time, Keep, which I believe used to be called Infusionsoft, is a product that a lot of smaller businesses are pretty comfortable with. I believe, you might not remember this, Eric, but we were on a product called Membrane for about 10 minutes. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. And then we went to Salesforce. It was a little too much for us. And then we went to HubSpot, right? Yep. Yeah. So there are a lot of them out there. And uh, I'm not sure if from our perspective, it's like, pick your pleasure, lean into it and, and go to town. Um, there are some advantages and disadvantages to all of them, like every software product in every category. Well, uh, the, the, the Pardot marketing automation platform with Salesforce, now that they're the same company, is relatively popular, but people complain a boatload about Pardot. They do. Um, Pardot was a acquisition add-on for Salesforce, and I don't think it's really gotten the attention that it probably should have. So you have a great CRM and not a great marketing automation product. I was going to say, when you talk about HubSpot, which I know we do frequently, but you know, I really look at HubSpot as more like a platform, right? You get marketing, CRM, service, you know, website, and even a little bit of operations capabilities on one platform to really allow you to do almost anything from a revenue growth uh, and a revenue generation perspective. You don't typically get that kind of package from some of these other products. They're kind of in their lane, focused on CRM, and that's fine but you may end up having to put a couple of other things together to get everything you need out of that. So keep that in mind. This was actually a question from John in Boulder who wanted us to talk a little bit about what other CRMs there are, John. So go to town with that information. All right, Eric. So to draw a direct line between last week and this week's episode, I got a question from Don in New Jersey. How does the sales process conversation from last week fit into the CRM conversation from this week? So this seems right up your alley. Uh, go go to town. Yeah, sure. So the first thing you want to do is stand in the shoes of your prospect, right? I have a prospect. I want to think like, what would they like to see in my sales process? So let's just start at the highest level, right? That's the way you formulate a sales strategy. And then you let that cascade down into a sales process that matches your strategy. Okay. Now we know we're going to have three meetings minimum. These are what the meetings are going to be like, whatever. Now you have to then take that business process and you have to breathe it into your technology tool, AKA the CRM. So let's say that a very simple process is you have an initial meeting, then you have a second meeting, then you have a follow-up meeting, right? Three meetings. Let's say that you have some historical data that shows that X amount of people move from one meeting to the other, so forth and so on. Now, by putting that into the CRM, we could truly quantify that. So I move them from the category. They sign up for an initial meeting. Great. They're in meeting one category. Now, without thinking about it, I know that everybody who's in meeting one is waiting for that meeting to happen. Now, if I have a CRM and I'm trying to track it, and, we, and this is back to more with less, I don't have to think about what's going on. It's all there represented to me how many prospects I have in meeting one. I then have the meeting with a prospect A. I move prospect A's meeting one to meeting two. It was a successful meeting and they qualified in. Now, if it's an unsuccessful meeting, then I'm going to move it to the closed loss column or whatever you personally want to title that. But also, I'm going to give a reason why it lost so that I can go back and say, gee, you know what? 67% of the time, we lost this because of budget. All right, that's a great data point to understand that. So tuck that aside for a second. Now, I can calculate how many prospects move from meeting one to meeting two by just running some analytics. So it's giving me insight. Let's say that I'm not moving a lot of meetings from meeting one to meeting two. They're all dying and they're unqualified. Well, maybe I'm doing a bad job of qualification. Maybe my messaging on my website stinks and I'm attracting the wrong people. Maybe I'm doing campaigns that are targeted to the wrong folks also. These are all insights you can get from a simple CRM calculation of meeting one, does it move to meeting two? The same thing happens with meeting two to three, right? We're tracking that. How successfully are we bringing people through the process? If everybody's getting bogged down in meeting two and they're never scheduling meeting three, you're doing something wrong. Let's stop and look at it. So it's not just about a tool that's keeping track of all your opportunities, but it's giving you the insights that you get when you see what's happening behavior-wise of all of these meetings that are going through. 
Now, Mike, you're always asking me, quantify the funnel, right? How many discovery calls led to how many meetings led to how many pitches led to how many closed deals? And with the CRM, with a flick of a button, I can pull that up simply because it's tracking that. But wait, there's more. With a good CRM, I could program things to happen when I do things. So let's say that between meeting two and meeting three, I know that people typically ask for references. Okay, let me make a reference reel, a nice video with let's say 12 testimonials on it. And let me automatically program my CRM that when I move the card from meeting two to meeting three, it automatically sends a pre-populated email with great meeting today. By the way, here's a video of some other clients like you that you might enjoy. So now I don't have to create a new email. I don't have to think about what to send me. I've pre-orchestrated how I want the sales process to flow. And now just by making that simple movement from card going to column two to column three, it's automatically triggered this follow-up. By the way, Mike, all those follow-ups can be written in a really remarkable way. They can really drive home the key points as opposed to letting your salespeople do the communication for you who might not be English majors. They're just salespeople and they're no fault of that. But let's orchestrate and really choreograph how we want this entire process to work. So that's how your sales process then gets transferred to your CRM and all the benefits that come from a good CRM. That's a great practical um, explanation. Very clear. And I'm, I'm sure Don appreciates that. I'm going to give Don a slightly more strategic look at how the CRM helps the sales process. So luckily, a lot of my experience prior to Square Two was as a marketing person who was closely aligned with the sales team. So my first job, I was, we talked about with the database, like I was basically the only marketing person sitting in a group of sales reps. So I heard very frequently what the reps were dealing with. And I'm sure what I'm about to say is going to resonate with many of you, especially if you're in the sales field. In a lot of companies, as long as people hit their objectives or come close to their quotas or are somewhat productive, they're kind of left to do what they are doing, which means no one really knows what they're doing, right? If Eric is close to his quota, I don't really care what he's doing, right? He could be playing golf with people and getting them to sign up. He could be paying them to sign up. Like, I don't really know. He's, he's being somewhat productive and successful, and I don't want to rock the boat, so I let him do whatever he's been doing. Well, what about John and Mary and Sue? They're also probably doing something different than Eric is doing, and all these people are basically doing something different. Some of them are more successful than others but we don't really know what they're doing. I can sit down with Sue and be like, hey, Sue, you're not as good as Eric, but I don't know why, because I don't know what she's doing. And even if she explains it to me, I don't really know exactly what she's doing every single day. I can't go with her on all her calls or listen to all her phone calls or read all her emails. I have other things to do. So the CRM, first of all, I've written this in LinkedIn a couple of times and people tend to like it, so I'll repeat it. it and we did talk about this last episode. If you don't have a documented and visual sales process, you don't have a sales process at all. So assuming you have that, you could hand that out to everybody and ask them to follow it, and it's highly unlikely they would. But if you take that process and build it into some kind of technology tool, exactly the way Eric described it, you're more or less training them and forcing them to follow the process. As Eric was saying, Move this opportunity from column A to column B. Trigger this email that we already wrote for you. When you get to this part of this sales process, send them this piece of content. You've mapped it all out for them. It's right there in front of them. It's like a set of instructions. Everybody should be able to follow that. By doing that, you've normalized the sales process across all your sales reps. Now you can really see who's good at following the process and who's not, because they're all basically doing the same exact thing. Eric might be a great communicator. He might be great on the phone. He might be great on Zoom. Sue, maybe not so much. So even though they're following the same process, Eric is closing it at a much higher rate. Maybe Larry's really bad at, at qualifying. So he's moving a lot of uh, unqualified prospects into the sales process and wasting a lot of time with unqualified people. Since you know that everyone is doing the same thing, that data pops right to the surface. If you're not doing these kinds of things, if you're not using the CRM in this way, 
you're never going to know. You're never going to get a handle on what your reps are doing and who's doing what and, and how they're doing it. So both my high level perspective on how the sales process in the CRM connects and how Eric's describing the day-to-day -day activities are both important takeaways from this question, Don. It's a great, great question. It's something that everyone really needs to know because if you're going to undertake something like this, you're going to have to tackle both the high level and the individual tactical execution like Eric described also. Anything you want to add, Eric? Nope. Good, uh, good view. I awesome. mean, you know, one of the challenges that we see that people have is simply getting the salespeople to use the CRM. And right. we're at a beautiful inflection point now because new salespeople that are coming up through the ranks, they would just assume there's going to be a technology tool that they're going to use to execute where Tony, who's been the sales guy for 27 years, he's got his own methods. And I think that that's a good thing. Not that Tony is going out to pasture, but the fact that this new breed goes, of course, we would use technology to manage anything. That has been the biggest challenge, I think, of sales leaders is to get the um, sales folks to use the CRM so they can get the data, they can find the insights to make improvements. And if they're not using it, then the data is bad. Yeah, obviously, acceptance is a big issue here. We're going to talk about that for sure. So this question is from Ashley in New York City. She's a VP of sales at a firm with 15 sales reps, and I'm specifically concerned about the time they'd be spending entering information instead of selling. How do I mitigate that risk? This is a common issue we hear. Sales leaders don't want sales reps sitting in front of the computer entering information. They want them on the phone. They want them on Zoom. They want them out talking to prospects. They want them selling. So how would you talk to Ashley about the balance between entering information and taking them away from that high payoff sales activity they should be doing? Okay. The first thing is, is that whether you have a combination of HubSpot for your marketing tool and Salesforce for your CRM, or you're using all of HubSpot, it all starts with the database, the marketing database, right? So there's not a lot of entering information that goes on to set up a new deal. Most of the time, the company is going to be in the database. The prospect's going to be in the database because they interacted with some content or they had some emails or they filled out a form or something. So number one, it's pretty easy. Uh, I would say when I'm setting up a new deal, 80 to 85% of the time, the information is there. I'm just creating it. It takes literally four seconds. Now, sometimes like, let's say, Mike, uh, you have a buddy and you refer them to me to work on them, right? They wouldn't have interacted. Uh, we're assuming they would not have interacted with our website or they're not in our database. So now I simply got to enter in their name, company name, and their email address. Not so hard to do. What I think, is the more challenging part of uh, not so much setting up deals, but capturing the activities that are going on with that prospect. Here's the beautiful thing about a CRM. It's all automated. So if I'm tying my HubSpot calendar tool into the CRM, when I send that link for someone to book a time for me, it automatically says we have a meeting at this time at this date. When I haven't talked to someone for 14 days, the car turns blue, which reminds me to pick up the phone and call them or drop them an email to follow up. So we're building in a lot of automation that helps that entering it in becomes a thing of the past. Honestly, I love working in the CRM. The only thing I find to be a bit of a challenge is to transcribe my notes from a handwritten notebook that I prefer to use and then type it up. That takes 12 to 15 minutes. Now I could get away with that by entering it right into a new note while I'm talking to someone, but I find that to be a bit rude that I'm typing while they're speaking. So I choose not to do that. Also, I can make all sorts of lines and point, and this goes with that and exclamation marks and circle stuff by hand. So I choose to do it that way because I feel that I get a better story or I can tell a better story to all the other folks in the organization that need to access that CRM. So that's pretty much the only time when I consider it arduous. However, when I move that card to closed one, all my pain seemed to be forgotten because all that work I did and typing that I did and entering it and moving the cards around and having are all melted away with the, with the, uh, the, the, the delicious uh, feel of victory. So I think that overall, I would think that that's a old school excuse, too much time entering information in when a lot of stuff is done. But don't even get me started on the fact that HubSpot if I put a company name in, they'll start to populate it with, here's their LinkedIn account. Here's the amount of employees. This is their last reported revenue level. And it really starts to give me in an automated fashion, all the details that I would love to see on the record. It's just building it for me in the background. So who was the person that asked this question, Mike? 
This was Ashley in New York City. Ashley in New York City, that excuse might not hold water. And every day that goes by, it's becoming less and less potent. Yeah, I agree. That's kind of like a, 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 an issue or an obstacle we heard maybe seven or eight years ago. Even, even the fact that so much of that information is populated by the client themselves, by the prospect themselves, when they fill out forms on websites or, or, or sign up to, to do things with your company, they're basically building that record out themselves. And the chronology of their interactions with the website, with the sales team, with, with other people, you just don't, you don't really have to do a lot of data entry anymore. So I could not agree more. I think this is an old school um, obstacle. Or can, or can I give you one other thing to think about, Mike? Of course. If, you, if it's really a problem for Ashley in New York City, then she can subscribe to a service like Gong. And what Gong does is basically automatically records every single interaction that a salesperson has with a prospect and then automatically attaches that recording with the transcript to that uh, deal. So if you really think that it's a lot of time, invest in some kind of recording and transcribing system, and then they don't even have to do that. I'll tell you one better. For sales management, using a tool like that is pretty potent because let's say I say to Gong, highlight anytime a prospect mentions these 20 competitors or highlight anytime my person asks a key question that we want asked. So now a sales manager can quickly skim through the notes that are in the CRM and be able to help support or train the salesperson on how to get better. So there's nothing to do with data entry and anything I just said. Technology can cure 99% of the challenges we have with manual interaction with the CRM. Maybe you need the transcription service. Um, my then Philly you can just talk to the prospect, my, right? My, my Philly accent can't be transcribed. It's too aggressive. Oh, we can't tune it to listen to your Philly accent? It's a, it's a setting. It's, yes. It says uh, John is the select box. Yeah, yeah. Like Russia, China, Philadelphia, right? Exactly. Like, there you go. No, I, I right, would do that in a second. I actually enjoy writing the story to tell to my colleagues that are joining me in the sales process or our interactive director, if it's a rev ops project, like I like trying to really give them the feel so they're as prepared as possible when they meet with the prospect. And you've read my notes. It's not just like a bunch of bullet points. I'm really trying to get down to the what's behind what they said. Yeah, your notes are pretty good. Yeah, for sure. All right. So here's a question from Janet in Dallas, and I'm going to just shorten it a little bit because we have been talking about this. She's looking for a couple more practical applications of the C, uh, how the CRM would help. So I'm going I'm to help this along a little bit. And I'm going to ask you to talk about how the chronology that I mentioned a second ago, how does it help me if I'm a sales rep knowing where the prospect has been on my website, what they've downloaded, you know, uh, what they've read, what they've watched, how many times they've been back to the site, what pages they've viewed. How would that help me as a sales rep if I had that intelligence? Well, I was actually going to use that. Business intelligence is really the summation of what you're asking. And what do I mean by that? So I prepare, granted, not long enough sometimes, but I try to prepare as much as I can for a discovery call. The first call that I'm having with a prospective client. And when I do that, I immediately go to their HubSpot record to see what the heck's going on. I haven't met them. For the most part, they filled out a form. When they filled out the form and they hit submit, they then got a request to book a meeting. So I have not done anything manually. It's just all happening in the background. And when that meeting pops up on my calendar, I get an email notification. Sometimes I'll like click through to the client's web or prospect's website just to see what's going on for curiosity. But I don't really do anything to prepare until about 10 minutes before the call. Maybe you shouldn't, have, I maybe you shouldn't have mentioned that publicly. You always seem prepared to me. Well, I'm going to tell you what happens in the 10 minutes before. <laughs> the absolute best thing you can do to prepare is to see their activity stream. So in the center of the HubSpot CRM is every single interaction they've ever done with our company from a new deal being created or a new contact going into the database with every single touch point. So I try to get a feel from what content they've been exploring, what they've been downloading, the pages they visited to kind of get a direction of where they're going. And I'll give you a perfect example. I had a client today, the prospect today, and they were interested in taking their two websites, why they have two websites is another story, and combining them into one. And while they're doing that, they got a HubSpot subscription and they're going to put it on the content management system, aka CMS. So when I went there, I saw that they had visited the website 
explanation. They had downloaded something like seven and a half mistakes most people make when building a new website and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, this call is going to be about websites. So what did I do? I went to my desktop. I opened up in my template, the one that says recent website examples, where I have six or seven of our recently released websites. I clicked through to two or three that I thought were appropriate because they were B2B and it was professional services. And I had them up on my screen ready to go. Now the call starts. The people on the other end are like, yeah, we're really unhappy with the design of our website. I'm like, well, you know, it's important to have a good design as well as a good strategy and functionality. Here, let me show you an example. I quickly toggle over. There's the website up and ready to go. They're like, ooh, that looks great. I scroll down. Oh, look at those conversion points. Yes, that's exactly what we want. Now, if I didn't take the time to go and see what their activity levels were, I would be fumbling a little bit or I would have used up valuable time in the 30 minutes that I have looking for the right tool. But because I did that little bit of research and saw that their leanings based on their behavior was around website, I was able to prepare with some really good examples. Vice versa, I had one yesterday, I guess, and they were interested in a lot of like rev op stuff, like uh, upping their, their HubSpot game with fixing the back end and adding more tools. There, I opened up a great PowerPoint that our marketing team had created with five different case studies of HubSpot optimization, implementation, integration, and so forth. So I used that in that scenario because I knew that it was coming within the first 10 or 15 minutes of that call. So I think using the business intelligence to match up with what the customer wants, making them feel safe because you have the examples and content ready to go that they can view is the wonderful leg up on the competition. Does that answer your question, Mike? Yeah, I mean, it's all about the experience, right? I can either start with, hey, how can I help you? Which is not very remarkable. Or I see you're interested in some website information. Let's talk about websites. Which of those two kickoff questions is going to get them feeling better about working with you? Well, Obviously, you, know my, you know my gripe about going to a clothing store, right? All right, can I help you today? No, no, just looking. Or, yeah, I see you're checking out pants. You got to check out these new pants that just came in. They're killer. Come with me. Right. It's just so much more focused than what I want to talk about. Uh, you know, it's the same thing with a salesperson. I don't care if you're selling a $10,000 deal or a $10 million deal, like the preparation and then leaning into what the client wants to talk about just makes them feel safe and emotionally connects to your company versus the other guys. For sure. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if you took nothing away from our conversation today, just having reps start with context around what the prospect is interested in is a huge advantage from just starting from scratch. Tell me about your business. Tell me what you're looking for. How can I help you? Like no one really wants to go all the way back there when they don't have to. If you can start with, oh, I see, you know, you work for this so-and-so company and you've been looking on our website at this and it's obviously a pain of yours. Let's talk about that. They're going to feel much better about you versus your company. Yeah. I mean, I start almost every discovery call with, I've thoroughly reviewed your website and I've also ran it through a few diagnostic tools just to see what's working and what's not. So I'm feeling pretty good about what you're up to. What can I do to help you on that journey? So they're like, oh, look, he prepared. He, he ran yep. through diagnostic tools. Like, all right, let's go. As yeah. opposed to our business was started in 1982 by my grandfather, John. And that's just a way, not, it's not a waste of time. And of course that's interesting, but it doesn't go to what can I do to help you with this project or engagement? Yeah. I mean, you also have to look at it from a competitive perspective. If your competitors are doing what Eric just described and you're still starting with, well, how can I help you today? You're behind. So they have CRMs too. They're, they're buying and upgrading their sales technology to provide the same experience we're talking about. If you're not doing that or don't think it's important, you're, you're mistaken. Mike, can I just touch on two very important points that I think the audience sure. would be interested in? One is templates and the other one is archived material. Both of those are pretty critical and the CRM makes it so easy to use. So starting with templates, I probably have 30 different templates. Based upon what happens on each one of the meetings that we scheduled, I have a template to follow up. I gave an example before about that template about the reference reel, right? I know I want to eliminate reference calls or requests for reference calls. So I've already created a template that's well-written and that has links to a reference reel. It's really great from a time savings point of view and a giving the client what they want point of view when you have a great inventory of templates to choose from. On the archive material side, I gave some examples there the PowerPoint deck with the multiple HubSpot case studies, the uh, recent websites. I also have some uh, projects that we've done in, in our unique accelerator program that I have teed up that I could show them, oh, look, here's what other companies are doing with us, right? 
By having that, there's no thought process. There's no starting from scratch each time. So I could have a day where I might have five or six discovery calls in a day, and I still get to go home at five o'clock because the automation that we've created in advance is helping me just follow up and 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 um, do uh, you know uh, match up with what the client wants. Now I'll give you one other thing that I do. Sometimes the expectation is it would take us a day or two to get back to someone, whether we're reviewing something or so forth. But maybe I have time right after the meeting to review it. But I want to make sure that it stays in that same rhythm that we've established for the sales process. I'll go in, I'll create an email in the CRM, and I'll just schedule it to send it the next day. That way, once again, off my plate, off my plate, giving the prospect what they want and keep the process moving towards the sale. So once again, templates, archive materials and scheduling of emails enables us to really uh, be able to do a lot more with a multiple uh, with a with a large group of prospects without extra salespeople. Awesome. So I think we covered that question pretty thoroughly. Let's switch gears a little bit. This is Marty from Boston. We have a CRM, but I hate it and I want to switch. Can you give us some best practices around moving from one CRM to a new one? Got anything for Marty? Well, the first thing is before you cut off your old CRM, you got to map the business process. You got to map your sales process. And then it's a good milestone that if you're switching CRMs to maybe look at enhancing the sales process. So we don't want to like change what we're doing from the outside perception. We just want to add a better technology to help us manage that. Now, a lot of people brush over that. They get a new CRM and they start populating it right away without stepping back and thinking, what would make this more elegant from a prospective client's point of view? So map the process, enhance the process, and then either if your internal team is setting up the CRM or you have an agency like ours helping you, let breathe that process into the technology. You know, the process to drive the CRM setup, not the other way around. In fact, that was one of our challenges with Salesforce, if you remember, uh, Mike, it was very difficult to customize and HubSpot couldn't be any easier. So if I wanted to rename categories or do a segmentation of my templates, it was, it's very flexible. And I think that that's important when you're setting up a new CRM to kind of think through all the granular details of what it would feel like to be a prospect and then just use the technology backbone to manage that. Yeah, I mean, technology rarely solves problems. It's process improvement that usually solves problems and then technology enables that process to be effective. So I think, you know, you want to switch CRMs. That's great. I would really look into what specifically you hate about it and make sure that that is getting corrected before you actually switch to a new CRM. Cause you may find out that you build into the new CRM, what you hated about the old CRM, if you don't change the process associated with it. I'd also, great look, point. Like, we, like we said earlier, there are a lot of CRMs. So I would suggest you create some use cases, which what I mean by that is, and you can specifically start with what you hate. I don't want my reps entering information. Great. How's the new CRM going to help with that? I want the reps to be more efficient. Great. How's the new CRM going to help you with that? That gets to some of Eric's templates. I want the reps to be smarter. Great. How's the new CRM going to help that? Right? Like, Whatever you want them to be doing, however you want it to be better, jot those down and, and create little use cases. And the other thing I'll tell you is having gone through this, not at square two, because I mean, as, as a user, not as a, a consultant, I might consider getting some other people involved too. So you hate it, but well, how do other people feel about it? And what do they hate about it? And what do they want to be better? include them in your process of finding a new one. So there's some buy-in. I think a lot of companies make the mistake of like leadership picking the new CRM and then ramming it down everybody's throat. We're going to talk in a minute about how to handle the rollout, but I think the, the process to move is one that I would manage carefully also. You know, make it clear what, what the current CRM is not doing and why it's holding back the company. Make it clear what fixing it would mean to the company, what it would mean to the reps, what it mean, what it would, and when I say to the reps, most salespeople are primarily driven by what's in it for them. How much more money can they make? How easier is it going to be for them to do their jobs? Can they handle more opportunities? Can they handle more leads? Can they close more business? Can they close faster? Those are the kind of stories the reps are going to want to hear to get behind your desire to want to switch. And then I would also include them in the process. I would show them some of the tools. I'm not saying they need to be on, every rep needs to be on every demo. That would be ridiculous. But I might pick a couple and say like, hey, we're going to look at some tools 
want you guys to look at it too. And I want your feedback. I'm going to use your feedback to make our final selection. Getting their buy-in uh, as you make the move is just going to make the actual physical move that much easier. Ripping out a CRM and replacing it isn't a fun project. It's not one that you should do lightly. Uh, I'm not saying you don't need to do it because you probably do, but I think going into it, you can plan it out a little bit and stage it out a little bit so it becomes less of a less of a risk to the performance of the company. Awesome. So I got a good question here from Will in Seattle, Eric, and this is also related to moving to another system. What should I expect in terms of timing to roll out a new CRM system? And are there some best practices you could share? So let's just take it to the next step. Now, Will obviously found his new CRM and he's, he's installing it and he's getting ready to roll it out. What are some best practices we could recommend to him so that he has a successful transition? Well, I usually look at it as a 90 day project, right? The first month is strategy, business mapping, really locking down the enhancements that you want to include in your new sales strategy as you transition to a CRM. Second month is a lot of implementation, right? Getting it set up, making sure you could transfer all over the information, loading in templates, setting up the columns or the stages of the sales process exactly the way you want it. The third part is usually some kind of pilot team, let's call it a tiger team, where maybe three of the salespeople who are really enthusiastic about it, they give it a little beta test. Okay, start using this, still use the old one, but then duplicate what you're doing here. And let's see with actual usage where there might be some problems. And after they stress test it for about 30 days, and we do the adjustments, I think you're then ready to roll it out for the entire group of uh, sales team. Um, there's also different uh, levels. And what I mean by that is that leadership wants the CRM because they want insight into the metrics. So how are we setting that up? We're determining are these weekly reports, monthly reports, real time? Are we giving access to the leadership team or is it just sales leaders that are going to do it and then report up? So there's a lot of things to consider as you go to a new CRM uh, that have to be perfected. But I think about 90 days is a typical time horizon with those three segments that I outlined. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and we talk about the pilot very frequently with clients. Look, I've been in a lot of sales meetings where someone has stood up and shared some information with the sales team only to get a bunch of groans and some snickering and laughing. And, you know, like, hey, you think we're going to do this? You know, like, they can be a persnickety crew, those, those sales reps, not to generalize, but we can do it for fun, right? You don't, you really don't want that. That's kind of like a fast track to a lot of people dismissing what a pretty important initiative. I think the pilot idea is smart because it brings people inside the project who are going to help it be successful. Just consider my other example where you're standing up and telling the sales reps we're switching from one system to another versus a couple of the reps standing up with you and talking about how they've been using this system for a month and it's awesome. And you know what? They hit their target this month and they haven't been so successful in previous months and they're able to handle more leads and they're able to hand them better. And the feedback they're getting from prospects is a lot more positive than the feedback they were getting prior to that. Those are gonna be very powerful testimonials that will, I promise you, will very quickly get the rest of the reps attention. They might not all sign up, but they're gonna start listening to what those other reps are doing. And as those reps continue to hit their quotas and continue to be successful, there's going to be a lot of like, well, what's going on over there? And how come you didn't ask me to be part of that? I want to be part of that too. They're having some success. I want some of what they're having. And pretty quickly, you'll have the entire crew wanting to be part of this, this, this new technology. They'll all want to use it because they're all going to see how it's going to make them more successful. Again, it's a what's in it for me kind of crowd. So you just have to think that through. You know, to Eric's 90-day point, I think that's a tip, that's a fair, fairly typical rollout plan. But, you know, Walt from Orlando is asking us in his next question, you know, aren't there a lot of other systems that my CRM needs to connect to? And he's potentially right. You know, you could be looking at marketing. You could be looking at finance. You could be looking at ERP, project management, service. If your CRM is connecting to a lot of other systems, you might need longer to make sure that all that technology is connected properly and that it's been tested. You don't, what you don't wanna do is rush through the implementation, turn it on, roll it out. Even if you have a pilot, turn it on, roll it out and have it not work right. Because if things aren't working right, if your automation isn't firing, if, if 
if there are missing emails or data missing or workflows that should be in play that are not, the pilot crew is going to have a bad experience. And then they won't be able to stand up and say, yeah, this is great. Y'all ought to be using it also. So, you know, we do a lot of QA for this kind of work with, with clients. And I think this, this, look, the QA step in general is missed in a lot of projects like this, but make sure there's plenty of time built into your plan to stress test all of the technologies and all of the integration, all of the data, all of the automation, all of the notifications. You know, if, if someone moves, you know, when Eric moves a record from, from uh, recommendations to closed one, people get notified. So if those notifications aren't firing, then the people that you need to know are not gonna, are not gonna know. So there's something wrong with the system. You need to check that. You need to ask, hey, I just moved this. Did you get a notification? Yep, I did. Great, did the six people who are supposed to get notified also get notified? No, only five of them did. Okay, who didn't get it? Okay, let's go back to the system and make sure that other person's email address is in there. It's a detail. And you might think it's a nit, but it's critical to rolling this out across an organization. And the larger you are, the more important it's going to be. If you have two or three reps, okay, maybe you can get through it. But if you have 15, 20, or 50 reps, you just can't have a, you can't have a fail like that. It's, it's, it's like, you know, going into space. One little thing can go wrong, and that's enough to derail the entire project. It has to execute flawlessly. And if you are not comfortable being able to execute that flawlessly, you need to find some people who can help you. There's plenty of people out there who have done this before, who know how to do all that QA and make sure it's working perfectly. Don't underestimate that piece of it. So Walt in Orlando, yeah, it's not easy. I know we're making it sound easy, but there are there's a lot of technical work that goes into setting this up properly. And a lot of configuration work that goes into setting these CRM systems up properly. The more complicated your execution, the more complicated that configuration is going to be. So yeah, keep that in mind for sure. One uh, quick comment about the notifications. I mean, they really are important. Um, for example, when um, one of our prospects reaches a certain point and then that notification goes out that they're almost going to close the deal, that notification to the client services director alerts them to start planning the team that's going to be um, working on that account knowing that it's probably a few days from the close, they have time to think about how are we going to handle this? How is this going to be onboarded smoothly? So even though that has nothing to do with closing a deal, it's a very, very elegant handoff to the next stage, which is onboarding, which cannot be any less exciting than the sales process where the people are going to be let down. So another quick example, accounting. When something's about, or something does close, they know, oh, I have to do invoices now. Something just closed. And that's why you're right. If they're not getting those, Mike, there's like cracks in the system that'll just uh, be very irritating or even slow down progress being made on different accounts. And, and I think you're right. You have to take the time. Um, I'm sorry, I was going to say something else. Oh, yeah, I was just going to add setting up the CRM, not integrating it. You're right. Integrating yeah. it is a whole other story. But I mean, that's part of the setup, right? The, even your invoice example, like you could trigger the invoice automatically. I mean, how fantastic would that be? You close a deal. The information flows into finance, the finance system. The invoice is triggered automatically, gets mailed out to the client. Like, woohoo, like, let's celebrate. Uh, you have a touchless system that doesn't require you know, there, there's no margin of error there for someone to be out sick, for someone to forget, to be in a meeting, to come back, they're distracted. You know, it all happens, you know, perfectly without any human interaction. That's what we're looking for here. We want everything to be as seamless and automated as possible. I agree. All right. So here's a question from Wyatt in Austin. We have a CRM. It does some, but not everything you're talking about, but ripping it out and replacing it with something else seems like a distraction. Can you talk about that and how we might get past that perception? So I guess he really wants to kind of like sell up in the organization about why this is important and why the rip out and replace pain is something they got to get through. You have any uh, um, suggestions for Wyatt? Uh, you start. Let me riff after that. All right. So. Yes, rip out and replace is, is going to be a pain, painful. Is it a distraction? It might be, but I think you can mitigate the distraction. Eric mentioned it uh, briefly in passing earlier. 
you can have them continue to use the old system until the new system is, is up and running and, and running beautifully. You can then manage the rollout. You can train one rep, three reps, you know, you know, like you can stage it so that it's not a distraction. And I think your goal would be to come up with a really elegant transition plan that you can sell up, up the ladder so that they can see it's not going to be a distraction because you've thought it through. You can talk about the pilot team. You can talk about the automation and the savings it's going to provide the company. You can make a pretty good business case as to why the distraction argument is, is a much smaller hurdle than maybe people are thinking it is. Well, or with thought can be minimized. Right. And maybe you want to consider, you know, bringing in some expertise. Again, if they're concerned about the internal team's ability to do this, bring in someone that has done this 20 times or 40 times or 60 times before and let them talk about how they make this a non-issue when moving you from one CRM to the other. I think, that, again, I feel like this is a little bit of an older hurdle that people used to bring up when, when these kinds of projects were much more arduous you know, we're not talking about on-premise software here. We're not talking about having to buy servers. We're not talking about having to load up software, you know, in, in you know, in your office. Like it's all cloud-based. There's so many less uh, issues here than there used to be when we were moving from one system to another. So I think there are a lot of ways you can mitigate this up the channel and get people past it for sure. Definitely. Cool. All right. So let's see, I got a couple more questions here and we got a couple more minutes. Uh, so this is from Todd in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. I don't think we're getting full value from our CRM when it comes to data. And as you mentioned, um, a few, oh, oh, as you mentioned a few shows previously, he's not getting any insights. I'm, I'm like summarizing what he wrote here. What insights should the CRM be uncovering for us? And if you can, how hard would it be to get those dashboards set up? So can you cover that for a couple minutes? Yeah, dashboards are pretty easy to set up. There's some templates that you could use that are stock or you could create your own. So that's not an issue. Uh, to Mike's earlier point, get some expertise if you're having challenges because it shouldn't take you a half a day to set up one dashboard. It should take a pro just a few minutes per dashboard to give you the at least uh, uh, templated version. And then you can kind of like uh, expand or customize from there. Um, so that's number one. What was the second part after the dashboards, Mike? Uh, insights. You know, insights, what right. insights should I be looking for after we yeah. get our CRM rolled out? So what I typically do is I look for anomalies, right? I start with, well, this whole process should take 30 days max, beginning to end. And that includes an annoying last week of like contract negotiations. So if it's going to take 30 days and the last week is contract negotiations and signing the paperwork, that leaves three weeks of conversations, explorations, whatever you want to call it. Okay. I have three meetings that I have to do in those three weeks. Call it one meeting per week. Great. Now I have a metric. I'm assuming that everything's going to move seven days, seven days, seven days, seven days. Great. Now I can set alerts. Let me know when a deal goes over 14 days in any one category. So the insights that I would get would be, here's an exception. It got boiled up to the top to be to look at. One time that it happens, I don't really have any insights. It's an outlier. 50% of the time that's happening, there's an insight. I have to then spend some time fixing what's wrong with this specific stage of the sales process. So that's a way to use the dashboards to like get the insight so that you know what to work on. The other thing is there's industry benchmarks. There is uh, data available that you can compare yourself to. There is a, 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 a A-B testing like, okay, I'm going to try a new method in my sales process with the next five people. And then I'm going to compare that to my old, my, my previous five people. And I'm going to see which one did better. So my insight is, gee, when I sent that reference reel, I didn't have to deal with the uh, contacting my clients to do reference calls. And I sped up the entire process over those five opportunities by six days. That's an insight. Now I'm going to do more of that. So, you know, the, the number one thing is getting the dashboard set up. The number two thing is identifying which metrics you want to look at on a regular basis. Number three, there should be setting some expectations of what should be happening from a metrics point of view. And then any exception becomes your insight that you should look into. Yeah, that's really good advice. I'll add to that by saying, Eric's right. Almost all these systems come with a pretty hefty set of standard dashboards. So while you can customize almost anything into a dashboard. 
I would definitely sit with the custom, the, the standard dashboards for a couple of months and really get comfortable with those for even start worrying about any kind of additional custom dashboards, right? Now, if you have some dashboards that you've been using and you want those recreated in the new CRM, that's a little bit of a different story and, and not difficult to do. But I would get really comfortable with the dashboards that they're providing you. And, in, and until you're at a point where you're looking for something and you can't find it in the standard set of dashboards, that's when I would consider, okay, we need some additional uh, dashboards here. And in terms of the insight, why don't you think about it like this? This is generally how I think about it. it it's hard to know what insights you're looking for, right? So think about it a little differently. Like what question do you have? And is the data available, right? So the, here's an example. How long does it take us to close a deal? Okay, it's a question. You're now looking for the average length of your sales cycle, right? And if you're gonna follow that line of questioning, you might wanna know, after I know how long it takes us to close a deal, you might wanna know, are we getting better at that month over month? So th that's the second question. And the answer to the second question would be, let me track days in our sales cycle month over month, right? So you had two questions and you're now, presented with data that answers those two questions, right? That's how I typically think about what insights am I looking for and how do I find them, right? At, at square two, we're specifically trying to look for how many discovery calls do we have every single month? That was my question. How many discovery calls do we have every, every single month? Lately, or not lately, previously, I was asking Eric how many, and he would go to his calendar and count them up. Now, because that was my question, I had someone at Square2 build me a dashboard that is going to show me how many discovery calls we have every single month and an ability to compare that month over month. So again, are we getting better at generating discovery calls month over month? So those are questions that I had, and, and those questions led to uncovering those insights through uh, uh, some custom dashboarding to answer those questions, because that discovery call question is not part of the standard package because there's some dates related to as deals move through our pipeline that's just not standard standard reporting in the tools that we use so we needed some extra expertise to build those but i had a specific question someone answered that question for me with a dashboard now i'm going to have other questions when you get one question answered other questions pop up that you also have so if you want to think about it like that that's probably a good way to approach this insight challenge is what do you want to know and, and where do you find it? You might find it in the standard dashboard, which is great. You might find that you need something custom built for you because your question is a little more complex than maybe what most people ask out of the gate. All good? Well spoken. Awesome. So we're almost at the top of the hour. Let's wrap up a little bit. Really good session. We spent the last two weeks really, really going deep on sales process and the technology to drive sales process. I'm going to tell you, and I wrote this in a blog I wrote for Square Two today, if revenue isn't performing, folks, this is where you really need to spend your time. It might not be about leads. It might not be about your website. It might not be about whether you're on the first page of Google. It might really be about what your salespeople are doing with the leads you already have. So I'm going to encourage you to think really introspectively on your sales process over the next couple of weeks. And perhaps that's Honestly, Ark, it's not a place we get asked to help out very frequently, and it's probably a place we should be getting asked to help out much more frequently. Well, to that point, nobody wants to rock the boat with sales. They're more right. than willing to blow up marketing, but sales, right. oh, don't mess with those guys. They make it right. rain. Right. Um, it's true. I also just want to reiterate, because we talked about it last, uh, uh, last episode, close rate is such a key metric you should be looking at. If you have a 10% close rate, don't generate more leads close more of the opportunities you have. Take that profit and then invest it in the top of the funnel because so many people, hey, what's your close rate? I don't know. All right, let's track it. What's your close rate? 10%. A good B2B close rate is 33 to 50% if you're doing your job correctly. That is the lowest hanging fruit that you could possibly imagine and what's wrong with revenue. Great way to, great point and a great way to end. So next week, we're going to shift gears a little bit. And we're going to talk about video because it's such a hot media. No, people are not using video enough and not only for marketing, but for sales and for uh, customer service execution. So we're going to really lean in and talk about video. 
I don't know if you know this or not, but like 70% of the world identifies themselves as visual learners. That means they want to watch. They don't want to read. Yet, what are we doing? We continue to create websites that they have to read, content that they have to read, emails that they have to read. People don't want to read. YouTube is the second largest search engine behind what? Google. That's because people want to watch. So we're going to talk all about that next week. Also, next week is going to be our last episode before the end of the year. Eric and I are going to take... Eric and I are going to take a break over the between Christmas and New Year's. Even Eric and I need a break. So we're going to take a week off. The show's going to have a hiatus. I wanted to say that for a long time. We'll be back after the new year with some really great shows uh, for 2022. Thanks to everybody for joining. Again, check out the show on YouTube. Check out the show on all the podcast platforms. Check out the show on our website. At the bottom, there's a link, What's Wrong With Revenue, where you can get all the shows and you can sign up there. If you don't want to do the hunting around for the shows, we'll email you the shows after we record them. You'll get them right in your inbox. All you have to do is subscribe. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Eric, thanks a lot. Have a safe trip home. And uh, we'll talk to you guys all soon. I hope 2022 is your best year ever. Happy New Year. Thanks a lot.